Welcome to God's Open. Uh, I'm your host, Christopher Fisher, and today we have on the line Jeremy and Joel. How's everyone doing tonight? Doing good, Chris. Hanging in there, doing all right. Thanks, Chris. Fantastic. And so this is a panel on uh, raising children. I think we all have a little bit of experience with that, I guess a little bit. So why don't we go ahead and introduce ourselves and then talk about our level of parenting experience. Jeremy, do you want to start? Well, sure, Chris. Um... Yeah, my name's Jeremy. I live up in Canada, about an hour and a half east of Vancouver uh, in, in a city called Chilliwack. I have three uh, grown kids. Um, my oldest is 23. She's married now. Uh, I have a son that's 21 and a, my youngest daughter just turned 19. Uh, so they're all uh, great kids. I think, uh, you know, we, we certainly didn't parent perfectly, but we did a lot of things right. And uh, they're all... Uh, serving God and uh, are really well-grounded kids or young adults now. And uh, we not only love them, we like them. <laughs> <laughs> Joel, that's great. I love that you said you not only love them, but you like them. And um, my kids, we've got four kids, my wife and I. Our oldest is almost 15. I've got a 12-year-old, a 10-year-old, and an 8-year-old. They go boy, girl, boy, girl. And uh, no more babies in the house, no more toddlers. And it's true, you do love all of your kids at all times, but there are seasons and times when you like certain ones more than others. But uh, generally, we really like our kids. We have a, what we, th we think is a pretty stable, fun family, uh, lots of fun conversations. And uh, I don't know, it's uh, being a parent is overwhelming and awesome mm -hmm. at the same time. Yep. Fantastic. Well, I'm a Christopher Fisher and uh, I got seven kids and they're all under 14 and the oldest are twins at age 14 and the youngest is just a year old. Uh, so when we first decided to start having kids, uh, I explained to my wife, you know, um, that uh, it, it's less work if you start with uh, multiples. If you start with twins, you know, you got some sort of economic uh, benefit for raising two at once. So that's why we decided to start with twins. It was a great idea because twins are fun and they play with each other. And and uh, yeah, it takes less work as a parent. So I got all my good babies and I I don't know what you're talking about. Seasons of time where you don't like your kids. <laughs> I, I don't I don't have experience with that. I just love my babies. They're they're good babies. You can edit that part out in a live video, right? Yeah, <laughs> that's absolutely how this works, right. Yeah. Absolutely. So uh, I guess um, we we got our first comment, spanking those babies. And so um, at, it was funny. I was at work, and I was uh, talking to this female coworker, and I said, uh, "My babies love spanking." So she's like, "What are you talking about?" I'm like, "If I call up my daughter right now and ask her if she wants a spanking, she'll say yes." So she's like, "No, she won't." So I call her up and say, "Hey, hey, Rain, baby." You want to spank it? And she's like, yes. And uh, my coworker was just flabbergasted because, uh, well, my babies are pretty good. They, they don't get any real spanking. So any spankings they do get, it's like playful spankings, which uh, con contrasted to my sister. So I do very little spankings for my kids. It's always on the table spankings. Uh, but my sister, she at least used to do a lot of spankings a lot of times. And my, my dad commented he noticed 
that I did, I get very little spankings. She gave a lot of spankings, but both of our kids are just very well behaved. All our all our broods. He said the only common denominator there is genetics. It's it's the grandpa, and so I th I think there might be something to that. That uh, kids might have some sort of genetic predisposition to certain behavioral characteristics. Any input? Joel, nothing? Yeah, sure, I'll weigh in on that. Um, every kid has been different. Some kids have responded to that type of discipline more than others. Uh, some would need it repeatedly. Some responded not at all. Um, every kid's different is what our experience has been. Some that is some would need just one little pop on the butt and they would never do it again. Some, the threat of a spanking was like, who cares? So when my, my oldest daughter was uh, really young, she, she learned how to climb out of her crib. And so I was, I was like, I can't be doing this, uh, dealing with her climbing out of her crib when we're supposed to be going to sleep. So I would give her a spanking. And I, there was one night she climbed out of her crib so many times. Um, it just The spanking just was not a deterrent. I was like, okay, I give up. You win, daughter. And then from then on, what I started doing was uh, when I go to bed, I'd bring her with me and then I would uh, uh, cuddle struggle, cu <laughs> struggle cuddle. And uh, she'd wear herself out trying to get up and then she'd just fall asleep. And she'd, we just co-slept uh, from then on. And that was a lot easier than any corporal punishment. And it saved us a lot of time and headache. So yeah, uh, each kid is unique. Some kids, all I have to do is use a stern voice to and uh, they'll fold. My, my little girls, um, I got a three-year-old and a five-year-old, they're having birthdays, so it's kind of, it's like, I don't know, doing some math here, but uh, they're very sensitive, so just a stern voice will, will bring them to the point of tears. And so no spankings necessary, typically. Jeremy, did you have any uh, success for non-success with corporal well, or non-corporal? I was actually wondering if you guys noticed if your younger kids had, um, if you if you have to if spank them less or not at all than your older kids is that did you find that have you found that at all we did and it was almost like the older kids were warning the younger kids oh don't do don't do that because this is what will happen right so it was <laughs> yeah definitely the threat is always on the table uh even in their older days it's like you know if you don't want to listen to me i can give you a spanking they'll be like okay yeah i'll, I'll listen to you and so I think Make that's sure. a good point, Jeremy. Um, the older ones sometimes will try and talk some sense into the younger ones and say, look, just trust mom and daddy. They're telling you the truth. Do what they say. Uh, whereas you're right, the older ones didn't get that. Sometimes I've wondered if we just spanked the younger ones less because they were the babies and you're just kind of tired of dealing with it after the years. But, well, but, but I think you're actually right. Um, the older ones have learned a little and the younger ones want to follow and be like the older ones. So maybe there's something to that. And it could be that the younger ones get less spankings because parents mellow out as they have mm -hmm. more kids. Mm -hmm. Because it's like, oh, is it really worth it right now? Is is this the best solution? You know, uh, it, whereas a new parent might be very frustrated and not know how to react and how to deal with those kids, and so it might be a gut instinct reaction where it's not necess necessary. A lot of times when these kids are crying or whiny, they really just need to go to bed. So if my daughter's whining, it's like, I could tell it's, it's tiredness. Why don't you come here to this couch and you lay down and you just lay there. 
and she'll go lay there and she'll be mad that she's laying there, but she doesn't want to get up because yeah, then she'll get the spanking and she'll just fall asleep and then she'll wake up and she'll be better. Yeah, I, I think on that point too, it's it's important to, uh, if you're spanking, never to do it out of frustration or anger. You got to let yourself calm down and then do it out of love for a purpose. And I think that is really important um, when you're going to engage in that kind of discipline. And it's often not easy, but but I think it's important to take that step back and calm yourself if you're really frustrated and then and then deal with it. Yeah, so there is a book that I would recommend everyone reading, and it's called Selfish Reasons to Have More Kids. And it's by economist Brian Kaplan, and he goes over reasons why we should have more kids, all things considered. He's an economist. But part of that book is about corporal punishment. Corporal punishment does lead to immediate behavioral corrections, but it's it's a short-term behavioral uh, correction. A lot of times in the long term, it doesn't it doesn't stick as well as you would hope it to. And so that's how I use it. Um, not that I spank my kids within the last year, even probably not. Um, but it's for short-term solutions to probably, if I hear whining upstairs, I'll go upstairs and I'll be like, hey, are you whining? I, I won't use that voice to say, are you whining? And uh, the kid will just, instantly the whining is, is cut off in our household because uh, that's actually one of our two rules. Number one is no whining. And number two is no mullets. And so I, I Joel's kids are violating that right now. But uh, I, very minimal rules, just no whining. I need a peaceful household. Uh, it's, I'm not going to tolerate a crazy, chaotic household. Well, you got seven kids, so that is probably a, a good way to play it. Um, I think when you have less kids, that's less of an issue. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So uh, on that, on that uh, idea of uh, books that maybe helped us, I know someone in the Facebook chat said, what are some books that have helped us become good parents? I, I, skipped, uh, I skipped all those what to expect when you're expecting and what to expect when you're toddlers. I, I didn't read any of those. I did read one book called To Train Up a Child, which was by Michael and Debbie Pearl. It's a book that's banned in England because it's all about spanking and uh, uh, England doesn't like spanking. But uh, that it's it that book might be useful for certain temperaments of children. A lot of times, these parenting books pretend that all children are the same, uh, equal with the same temperaments, and respond to the same carrots and sticks, which is not true at all. There's there's wide variation in how kids act and how kids behave. I also taught Sunday school for six year olds for like uh, seven years, and so I I have exposure to a wide range of uh, temperaments within children. That children are not the same, they're not cookie cutter. It's it, people who are parents who say, hey, this is the de facto way to raise your children. I, I don't give them any credit whatsoever because it doesn't account for the wide diversity that, that you encounter within children. Go ahead, Joel. Oh, uh, we've read that book too. Um, in fact, I, it, it helped us figure out how to deal with the temperamental toddler when we had our first child and you're thrown into it and you're drowning as a new parent. You don't know how to deal with 
this little person with a will uh, that seems unbreakable. And that was a really good book. It gave some structure, um, some practical tools. Um, I think it was very reasonable. Um, I think, you know, Michael and Debbie Pearl, not everybody agrees with them or loves everything about them, but they've had a lot of kids and, uh, you know, I remember the number one thing he said is the most important thing in any difficult disciplinary thing with your child is win. And, uh, you know, you've got to win and it's different for every child, but they have to know that you're the winner. Um, and you're at the end of the day, they're going to obey you. Um, but they did spend a lot of time talking about, you know, staying in control, not losing it. And, uh, anyways, all that to say, I remember it being a beneficial book at the time. Um, but honestly, I, I would love to say I've read a whole bunch of parenting books, but I just haven't. I think uh, you kind of learn as you go. But it's funny that you brought that one up. I thought it was all right. Yeah, uh, I, some of the things did not work for me at all. Like set a trap for your kids and be ready to pounce once they once they act on that trap. Uh, no, that doesn't that did not work in my experience. Um, one of their other things is like teach that your kids to fear water by pushing them in the water. Don't do that. Don't do that. Water is really dangerous. And my kids have a natural fear of water, well justified. And so I, I don't think I need to teach them that fear. I, Irenic writes, I found it easy to discipline my children without anger as a result of not appreciating the anger that accompanied the punishment my father melted out. And one thing that in the book, uh, Selfish Reasons to Have More Kids, one thing that really sticks with children is not necessarily all the long-term uh, ideas you teach them, not, not necessarily all the football lessons or karate or anything like that, but what sticks with them is a strong sense of what you are like with them. So their, their long-term memories, positive or negative of you, is a long-lasting effect. And you don't want to create this long-lasting hatred of father or something like that, where you're associated with all these negative feelings and rage and anger. Uh, you don't want to do that. That will stick with them. They'll remember it. They, they will become bitter. Uh, you, you don't want to do it. Yeah, I think one of the books um, that I, probably one of the only books on parenting that we we read, both my wife and I read, and we, we got on the same page, but it's, it's, it's kind of before the discipline thing even comes. Well, it is kind of a discipline, but it, it's, it was called Baby Wise. I don't know if any of you guys read the, the book baby yeah. wise, but it's all about teaching your kids how to sleep right from when they come out of the womb. And I think it is, uh, it was probably the best book. Uh, and if I recommend a book to, to new parents, it's always that one. They don't know how to sleep when they come out of the womb. They've been, they've had their eyes closed for nine months. They don't know when it's daytime or nighttime and it's, it, it, you have to teach them. And it was all about scheduling your kid, not not um, uh, not letting the kid schedule you. Um, and it was super helpful. I recommend it to anybody that like asks this very question, get that book, read it before you have the child, or if you've just had a newborn. I th I thought it was probably just it was brilliant. That sounds like a good idea. Uh, I was always an advocate of cry it out, which is the idea that mm -hmm. you just leave the kid in the room and let them cry at night until they fall asleep. My wife was not. And so we compromised and the compromise was she takes care of them at night and I just ignore them. <laughs> well, that's one of the points in that book was the cry it out. 
uh, strategy. And, you know, you, you check in on them once in a while just to make sure they haven't strangled themselves in the bars of the crib or something. And if they're okay, you just let them go. And uh, it's harder. It is way harder for the women to do that than the, uh, than the men. It's easier. It's easier for us to do it. Yeah. Hey, Chris, my, my wife just, she actually can overhear this. She's, oh, she's off camera working on something. And she, she waited and said, Hey, uh, we probably wouldn't recommend the Michael Pearl book anymore. But, <laughs> well, because, uh, so I haven't read a, I haven't read a parenting book since then, but at the time it was useful, uh, but she went well, in with another title. If I could share that. Yes. One. Go, go for it. Right. She said another one she really liked. And I trust my wife was, I haven't read it, but I take her recommendation was loving our kids on purpose by Danny Silk. And uh, she said it's good for preschoolers and teens. So throwing that one out there. Yeah. So I would not recommend people buy that Daniel Pearl book and then implement it 100%. You read it with a grain of salt and you right. say, okay, these are the strategies that worked for him. And in that particular circumstances, <laughs> there's things I could take from that and human behavioral concepts that are useful, but don't, don't just... Uh, uh, Point, uh, point or just don't uh, across the board implement that on your own children. I would not suggest it. I would suggest lenience, uh, very few rules, and the rules that matter, those ones are enforced. Like the no whining rule. I don't want a house with whining. Uh, do I care if my kids stay up super late? No, I don't. I don't care at all about that. I'm not going to spend my time enforcing something that I don't have the will to enforce. But I really do care about the whining one, so I'm going to enforce that. Uh, so that's one of the things that maybe we could talk about uh, parental strategies. Um, and uh, myself, I'm more of a free range parent. The kids, I got I got a one year old running the house and uh, I got one of those four door fridges and he'll open the bottom drawer and pull out like a yogurt for himself at like one. And my my three year olds are getting themselves food and and uh, it's they're just kind of self-sufficient. So I bet I may basically cook dinner like once a day for myself and I'll cook extra for them. And then they kind of uh, scavenge for themselves during the day or whenever my wife decides to cook. I don't know. It's it's kind of like a free range house. People, there's very little structure where we don't force the kids into certain patterns or behaviors, uh, certain time frames or schedules. Although that's out the window, it's just not worth my time to enforce. Jeremy, how about your girls? Uh, how did you raise them? And uh, how did they turn out from, from your parenting structure? Well, I think they turned out really well. Um, we, uh, we didn't coddle them. Um, and I, would not, I wouldn't classify us as helicopter parents by any stretch of the imagination. But we did have structure. And we did. Uh, we, we were... Um, I would say we're we're maybe on the opposite end of the structure from you, Chris. I think we we structured our our activities fairly well and fairly regularly. I think um, I think in some ways that helps um, build some. Um, um, just trying to think of the word, um, not a boundary, but a but a a a comfort level of expectation, if that makes any sense. Um, and we, uh, you know, bedtime was at a certain time and they went, you know, they went to bed whether they wanted to or not, but that was, that was, so we did, we did schedule quite a bit more. And I think that was probably uh, a result of that baby wise book that we, we had in it. And for us, man, I'm telling you, it, it worked really well. Uh, our kids slept through the night right from, 
four or five weeks old onward we never got up with them it was it was really well done so that was that was good and we we enjoyed that um part of our our uh, child rearing kind of stuff but yeah they turned out great we we had them in karate at young age um we we taught them you know uh um there was a lot of i think um a lot of activities that taught self-discipline and i think karate was a huge one um all our kids were in karate including you know mom and dad too and uh that really uh i think that helped develop their character a lot too yeah how about joel are are you uh free range or are you structured free range or structured um well you learn as you go um as you know when you have a bunch of kids jeremy i missed how many kids did you say you had uh three you three. Okay. I've got four and Chris has like 13. Yeah. <laughs> That's what people say. Right. Uh, but more, but I mean, our structure, I guess the way we've kind of gone about it is our structure depends on the kid and the level of structure required is often based upon the level of responsibility that they show us they can have. So maybe we say, Hey, it's time to go to bed at eight 30, but Hey, I want to stay up and read long, you know, in bed with a book light. They love to read it at bedtime. Okay, well, you can read a little later, but are you going to still get up when we say to? Or are you going to turn off the light when we say to? Um, and not not picking every little hill to die on. You know, I said it has to be. This is this is more me. I'm actually probably wanting more structure than my wife. She's probably a little more free range. But I'll find myself saying, the kids need to go to bed at this time. Or I said, no, you can't do that. And then when I really stop and think about it, I don't really have a good reason why they shouldn't do that. And I have to go, okay, well this kid can be responsible. There's not really a, a, a good reason for them to do this or not do this. Uh, let me see what they'll do with that. Um, it's funny, you brought up the kids getting into the fridge. Um, <laughs> my, my second, my younger son, when he was like three, um, he's just the one who will get into anything. He's 10 now, but at the time he's the kid that would get into anything. We'd get up in the morning, he'd every every pot and pan out. He'd have my wife's purse emptied out. He'd take apart something mechanical if he could do it. And he wasn't destructive or violent. It was just like, I want to see what's inside this and and mess with it. Well, he discovered how to get the fridge open. So every morning we'd go in there and he'd like be helping himself to whatever he wants. So we literally found like this cable lock and we adhered it with like industrial grade adhesive to the door and the the fridge and uh we had a special combination on it we had to literally cable lock my toddler out of the fridge and uh the combination was actually his birthday ironically uh but anyways i mean he needed a lot of structure because he wouldn't he wouldn't take no for an answer and stay out of stuff but other kids would so i don't know if that answers your question but yeah I, I irenic asks uh can you address boundaries we might place before our children my, my rules are fairly simple. Uh, no whining, no mullets. And basically, whatever I say in the moment, they need to listen to. And so uh, a lot of times I will do structured lessons for them. Um, so Mondays, typically we go over current events or uh, basic economics, uh, things like that. We watched Ukraine Under Fire on Monday. Excellent uh, thing. So I had to quiz my children throughout that uh, make sure that they're understanding it. And, and of course, my children now understand Ukraine and Russia better than most public school teachers, which is which is great. And so Tuesday nights, we typically it's a family movie night where we watch uh, culturally relevant movies that uh, 
uh, you know, are, are alluded to in popular culture. And then uh, typically on Friday nights, we do history night, go over historical events. And Sundays, of course, we do church. And on the way to and from church, we do like audio books. So I took them through a 20 hour, 20 hour Andrew Jackson a book. So they, they're, they're experts now on Andrew Jackson and Hernan Cortez. And so we did two audio books so far since, since uh, we, we moved here and church is 30 minutes away. So um, well, there is some structure. And, and if I call them up to do an event and, or say, hey, kids, come here, I do expect them to respond immediately to me and listen to me in the moment. If I come home and uh, I, I'm the cleanest person in the house, uh, my wife does not have my my tendency to like a clean house. And so if I come home and say, hey, we're cleaning the house, everyone needs to drop what they're doing and, and clean their house based, based on the moment. And so basically those three things, no whining, uh, no mullets, and uh, just listen in the moment. And so that's, I guess that's my boundaries. If they're if they're ignoring me, if they're if they're showing attitude to me, that type of stuff's unacceptable. I'll shut that down in the moment. Be like, you got you got to lose that expression. You got to shape up. What are you doing here? And uh, attitude correction in the moment. So those are basic boundaries that I place before my children. You got any uh, anything to add, anyone? Jeremy, boundaries. Yeah, girls. I would totally, I would totally agree with you um, on the boundaries thing. That was, you know, uh, attitude was always nipped in the bud right away uh, when it was unacceptable. And I think, uh, you know, immediate correction. Um, I mean, that's one of God's principles of justice. Um, so it's important um, to to nip it in the bud right away. I think uh, as kids got older, um, you know. Uh, in their teens and stuff, we we talked about uh, you know the the purpose of dating and and all that kind of stuff, especially with the girls. And um, you know they weren't our our boundary was there's no dating in high school because there's no point. Uh, you know have have as many guy friends as you want, uh, but there's there's no dating and there's no intimate relationships in high school. And that was you can start those when you finish high school if you like. And I think um, that worked also well for us. Um, so those were some of our boundaries. We didn't have a, a ton of them. Like we weren't, um, when I say we were structured, we weren't legalistic or anything like that. And, and you know, like to Joel's point, I mean, if, the, if there was something going on at night and, and, you know, which required, you know, a later bedtime or whatever, we're, we're fine with that. We weren't dogmatic about it, but uh, we were certainly reasonable about it. But, but those structures were in place. So that makes sense. Uh, David writes, I taught kids not to rat each other out. That's actually an, another good lesson. Uh, you don't want to be in uh, a situation like uh, Soviet Russia, where the kids are informing on the parents to the government or anything like that. They need to understand the value of, of familial bonds, of uh, being true to your family above all else. And I do try to teach them that lesson that uh, our loyalty is to one another. Our loyalty is not to the government, not to the state, not to our friends. It needs to be first and foremost to family. Joel, how about boundaries for you and your kids? Boundaries. Um, I don't know, our family is unique in some ways. Uh, one is that we homeschool. Uh, and another way 
to add to that is that we work from home. Um, we also have a fairly small home. Um, the two boys share a room, the two girls share a room. So we're really, really aware of what our kids are involved in. Um, our computers, like I'm on one computer now, there's three computers behind me on that wall, but the three computers behind me on that wall are facing the doorway that points towards the common, you know, social area in the house. That door stays open. Uh, my kids don't get on my computer unless these other three computers are full because it's the screen you can't see when you walk down the hall. Um, there's a lot of accountability for screens. Um, you know, my kids are, I've got one that's a teen and one that's almost a teen. The oldest is a boy. Um, and so there's there's a lot of boundaries with that, but we're also around each other a lot. And we, we have, a I would say, a very strong awareness and a great involvement in our kids' lives. Um, I make it a point to check up on my oldest from time to time and say, hey, how are you doing with this? Um, and I've been really encouraged lately, and I've been acting on this to just say, how are you doing with this temptation? How are you doing with this area in your life? Um, you know, how are things with God? Um, and just check up once in a while and just say, hey, do you appreciate me keeping you accountable? Do you appreciate me checking up on you? And he says, yeah, I appreciate it. I said, okay, well, I will from time to time. So expect that. And it just, we just make a very deliberate effort to stay involved in our kids' lives, spend time with each one of them. And we're around each other a lot. And I understand that's not everybody's family situation. Not everybody can spend that much time together. Um, but I find that we don't have to have a lot of really rigid rules to protect our kids. A lot of it just comes from the day in, day out, being aware, being involved, asking questions, keeping our relationship friendly. Not that I'm trying to be their friend first and foremost, we want to be their parent, but we are friends with our kids and they do trust us. And I think if we maintain a level of uh, friendship and trust between us and them, they stay open with us and they share with us what's going on. And they know that if they've got an issue or something, they've come across something that's concerning to them or uh, confusing to them, they're going to come to us first um, over their peers and uh, certainly over, you know, whatever the world would say. But um, we don't really have to crack the whip an awful lot. Thankfully, we also have some pretty chill kids. <laughs> I'm really blessed with some pretty easygoing kids. Uh, I don't think I could handle ones that weren't. But anyways, I uh, hope that answers your question. If that helps out. Yeah. So uh, next question is, uh, Chris, what's your motivation for a free range tendency? My motivation is laziness. Uh, I don't like to do a lot of work. And so it's easier not to. Uh, but the good thing is that um, science works out on my behalf. So if you go read the book that I recommended earlier, Selfish Reasons to Have More Kids. This is an economist that wrote it. The idea is this, that we overinvest in our kids. And to the extent we overinvest, um, the real value of kids is cheaper than we're putting into it. The, the real cost of kids is cheaper than we're putting into it. And so if kids actually take less parenting, we should be willing to have more kids. If if our if our all our overexerting ourselves is it can be backed away from, and so uh, it goes into a lot of statistics with fraternal twins and identical twins and uh, genetic effects and environmental effects and unique environmental effects, and and what the science finds is that that genetic effects very much predict kids' long term happiness, uh, financial uh, ability, and, and health. 
Uh, even adopted kids. Adopted kids more resemble in those areas their biological parents than they do their adopted parents, which means the parenting effects that we think are very strong are not, not quite as strong as we think. And of course, this is about the normal range of parenting. So it's not about like abusive parents. It's like the normal people that who would raise a kid who's adopted and, and they're putting their, their love and time into that. And then you can look at uh, uh, identical twin and fraternal twin studies and you could you can look at how similar those various twins are to each other and then you could actually uh, figure out because identical twins share 100 percent of their dna and fraternal twins are just like normal siblings and share 50 percent of their dna you could look for the genetic effects and and see how that plays out in these kids raised in the same environment and genetics has a huge a huge factor for the, those long-term outcomes even identical twins that are raised apart are, they actually turn out to be more alike than identical twins raised together. And I guess the reasoning there is I got identical twins. Maybe one twin wants to stand out from the other, so they might go and uh, do uh, do something a different way to distinguish him from his brother. But I've seen specials in, in the news. I don't know if you've seen anything like this, where like identical twins who are split up at birth, they come together and then and uh, they, they start going over what their life is like, and it's eerily similar, like using the same type of uh, toothpaste and uh, driving the same type of car, things like that. And so if genetics plays a major role in, in kids' long-term happiness and behavior and, uh, and just their general outcome of life, then we, we, we could really back away from some of this tiger parent stuff, forcing your kid to play piano for... Uh, 15 hours a day. I don't know, just something hyperbolic like that. Like it's it's very little, very little benefit from that, and a lot of time wasted. I mean, I I don't play piano. I don't enjoy piano, and so I'm not going to force my kid who also might not like piano. Let's say it's soccer. That that's probably more relatable. It, me putting my twins into soccer, it it didn't turn out very well. They were like on-field cheerleaders. They're just not the aggressive type. And if it's just using a bunch of my time and they're not gaining any benefit from it and I'm not gaining any benefit from that, it can be cut out of our schedules and we just have that much more free time to do other things that we do like. That doesn't mean that I, I make them do nothing that I don't think that there's value to. Again, I take them through the history lessons. I take them through politics and current events. We go through the Bible. I, I give them what I think is going to give them long-term informational value that they can draw on once they get out in the real world and they're interacting with people who who maybe want to corrupt them global homo wants to turn our kids gay wants to turn them into uh mindless consumers of media just parroting anything uh the corporations want uh, I, I need them to fight against that so uh, that's when i'm uh, focusing my 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 uh, dedicated instruction towards fighting these cultural tendencies uh, a pro-god approach an anti-humanist approach, anti-global hobo. So I, I hope that I hope that makes sense. That uh, yeah, a lot of lot of our parental activities just don't have the long-term outcomes that we think. So there's also a Minnesota IQ study that shows fade-out effects based on different categories of adopted kids. Yeah, you can study for an IQ test, but those IQs um, they they gradually go back to an average or a medium. IQ is very much a genetically based factor that you can't ingrain into someone. It's sad to say. I mean, we all we all like to imagine that we're blank sheets and cookie cutters from birth, and and people just aren't born inferior in athletics or inferior in IQ. But that's just not the case. 
some people are born with genetic predispositions to certain advantages like height. Uh, I, I happen to be 6'2". My wife is almost six foot. I don't know how, how big she is, but I just posted on Facebook. I think there's this uh, short men just have it hard. They can't find ladies. They, they, they can't, they don't on average earn as much as, as tall guys. That's just the way of the world. People like tall people. They, they look down on short guys and I feel bad for the short guys, but that's sometimes that's, that's what we have to deal with in life. All right. Thoughts on my big, huge rant there. Well, I think uh, you're absolutely right. Every, every kid is different and they, they are all have their predispositions, predispositions to certain things and, and aversions to others. And I think a key as a parent is to uh, identify and, and, and really make a concerted effort to figure out where your kids' strengths are and what their what turns their light bulb on and what turns it off and and you know try and try and um facilitate that growth in those areas that that they're strong in and you know you know it might not be you and it might not be what you want uh for your kid and that's thinking a huge danger that parents fall into it's a huge trap um somehow you know some parents they certainly want to live vicariously through their kids lives because they didn't get to do something as a kid and i think that's extremely uh selfish and and uh, can can be harmful so um that's one of the things we did we we figured out what their strengths were um two of them it was music one of them it was art um and and all of them were really good in sports and but we didn't do every sport and we chose the sports that um, were going to be least intrusive on family life. We didn't put them in hockey because we weren't prepared to get up at 4.30 in the morning and take them to hockey practice. And we, we didn't like the environment, frankly, um, of the hockey parents. And, and, I, and I know myself, and I thought, I don't think I would function well in that environment so i think i'm gonna we're gonna stay out of that one and uh so we put them in in uh, in other things but yeah uh, so so one thing in the the brian kaplan selfish reason to have more kids th there are certain aspects that parents have a huge effect on and one is religious affiliation uh, kids most often identify with the religion of their parents that doesn't affect their religiosity and so it's uh, it's not a long-term effect on church attendance, for example, is one metric. Uh, it, certain uh, people are, are more predisposed to going to church and some are not. And so parents don't have a very big effect of, on that. But what they identify for a religion, parents do have a huge effect on. And the other thing that I thought was very interesting that parents have a huge effect on is the age at which females first have uh, sexual relationships. And so boys, uh, not uh, boys, uh, we, we probably understand boys kind of do what they want and boys are more impulsive and boys typically younger in life don't have the edge on uh, sexual monopoly, monopoly in the first place. Uh, but parental effects on females in their first sexual encounter. Uh, yeah, it's, it was like seven years um, having a, of a difference between 
a parent who's involved in teaching the daughter those values. And so that actually gives me hope. Uh, teaching my daughters to remain chaste and virtuous, uh, I think, is a winning game, something we can win. Whereas the boys, yeah, maybe, maybe not. Joel, any thoughts? I feel like he covered like a million things. Um, something that stood out there to me was uh, the importance of teaching your kids to think for themselves. Um, not to rag on public school, but I guess I'm going to do it a little bit. Sometimes the impression I get is that, I mean, I was public K through 12, so I can speak from my own experience, but you're kind of taught, at least I was taught how to pass a test. Um, so the state, you know, pays your district the funding. That was the impression I got. Like you've spent half the year learning to pass a test, um, but you never really learn how to think or how to, you know, do logic or be philosophical or recognize thought patterns or certainly a fallacy, uh, anything like that. But um, one of the things we do in our family is, and I want to actually plug a book. I went ahead and had my wife go grab this book, but this is a book I recommend for any parent to go through. Uh, should. You got me in this little tiny rectangle here. There we go. It's called The Fallacy Detective by Blue Dorn, I think is the author. Of course, it's a couple homeschool brothers who wrote the book, but it's a hilarious book and it's how to recognize street fallacies, you know, informal logic. And uh, you will have a lot of fun going through it with your kids. I don't get any profit off the book. It's just a great book. We've been through it a few times and I learned a lot from it. But what happens are two things when you start to teach your kids to think philosophically and recognize how to think critically, recognize fallacies, to understand the tricks people are using on you when they communicate. Two things happen. Uh, number one, they start to spot the thinking in advertisements and in worldly messages, just messages that they're gonna encounter. The other thing that happens is they start to point out all the fallacies that you use when you argue with your, your children. And that's a huge drawback, but it's actually, it's actually kind of fun too. Um, you know, I'll, I'll say, hey, pick up this or don't do that thing. And they go, too croquet. You do that too, daddy. I'm like, you know, okay, thanks. But no, no, no. That would be them using the fallacy. Oh, yeah, you're right. You're right. Here it shows that I I, I can't think about it on the fly here, but. Uh, they, they, they would they, be the, uh, uh, something's bad, whether or not you yourself do it. But uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. The, oh, go ahead. You're going to. Yeah. Public school is not meant to create free thinking children. It's me meant to bring them into conformity with what the state thinks an obedient citizen will be like. Like, for example, in public schools, they, they stream CNN. They stream CNN and it's just propaganda to force people into certain worldviews. They're not, they're, their goal is not to make people who challenge the system. They're challenging the system is, is everything that's authorized already by the system is what they call challenging the system. It's, it, it's about, it's about societal control. Uh, the, the modern public school system is is a brainchild of John Dewey, who is a socialist, and that's his goal, to take immigrant children and turn them into obedient citizens that work in, in the corporate machine. And uh, by and large, it's done a very good job of not teaching people how to think. You see that with the mask mandates, with the vaccines, with the, the war in Ukraine. Uh, people are just consumers. They consume and eat up what's been fed to them. Uh, by this media. They don't look at the media that's being censored. They don't look at uh, opposing thoughts and ideas. It's it's not a critical evaluation of the system. And can so, I, yeah. Can yeah, I say go one more thing? Uh, building off what Jeremy said, and I really like this, um, you talked about emphasizing your individual children's strengths. You said something along those lines, like finding what they're good at. 
Um, something, for instance, my first child, he is prodigious intellectually in, in many areas. Um, he was winning chess tournaments at four, you know, against high school kids in our area. It was really hilarious. Um, it was, it was kind of weird. He was a little, like a local chess celebrity, but my second child isn't like that. Uh, my third child's totally different. My fourth child's totally different. And what we realize is every child is an individual and not all of them are as book smart or as IQ smart as the next, but they are all intelligent and they have, I think the workings of genius in every individual, but they have different intelligences. Um, and so the first child, if he has a great, a great interest in math, we give him math. If he has great interest in chess, we let him learn chess. We invest in him in that way. But if my second child is artistic and um, she has a great sense of aesthetic things, we let her focus on those things. I don't force them into things they have no interest in. I mean, they've got to learn to read, write, and do math and like be social and, you know, get some exercise. But where you see the genius and intelligence in each individual, you focus on that and you feed that and it develops the individual. And that's something that public school is not going to do for you. Not that public school parents can't do that with their children. But um, that's one of the great things we've learned is recognizing each child is an individual and they all have their own level of intelligence to cater to. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, we started our kids in uh, a private Christian school for their elementary school years. And uh, it was quite, it was, a, it was a good school. It was a good place to, uh, for their formative years. Um, but then we, we really recognized how legalistic it was getting, especially into the high school years. And we pulled them out of the private Christian school for that reason and economic reasons and we put them into public school and recognizing the fact that um now that we've put them into public school we're going to be we, we need to be even more engaged in what they're learning and and um keeping the lines of communication open and and that kind of thing and we really did make a conservative concerted effort to do that but i'm telling you right now if i if i was having kids right now i don't think there's any way I could put my kids into public school right now in, in this environment, not where we are. It, it's, it's, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's an evil place. Yeah, absolutely. If uh, anyone's having kids now, uh, try to homeschool if at all possible. And so uh, I was dating a girl once back in the day, back in the, my younger days, and she pointed out to me that uh, the studies show of course homeschoolers do way better than uh private schoolers and public schoolers on all standardized tests but she pointed out to me but that that could be reversing correlation and causation if we think the homeschooling is what's making them smarter it tends to be in fact that smarter people tend to homeschool their their kids and uh smarter people have smarter kids and i said yeah that that's actually probably true so the the benefit is not they're going to be smarter uh, you're, you're probably smarter if you're homeschooling them um, but the benefit is that you you insulate them from a lot of this worldliness uh, i think it's like one in five girls are now identifying as l g t g b q or whatever because women are especially susceptible to social social pressure uh, social conformity wanting to be it and uh, they're very attention seeking as well 
And so this offers this LGBTQT thing, offers them a chance to say, oh, look at me, I'm so special, I'm unique, give the focus to me, and it draws them into this worldview. Uh, women are tend to be particularly uh, susceptible to this type of social pressure or social social conformity. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think, um, but one of the things you have to be careful of is um, when you insulate your kids from the world, you can, or the potential is there anyway, to forget about how to teach them to navigate through the world. And 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 I'm not saying this is in any of your guys' case, and I, I would imagine it's completely the opposite with you guys. Um, just hearing how engaged you are and what you're teaching them. But I think the, the there's a propensity to want to protect your kids from the world and forgetting about how to teach them to navigate through it. And I think one of the benefits that, um, if there was a benefit for sending the kids to public school when they hit their high school years, was what we really were able to walk or, or help teach them how to walk through that type of environment because that's the environment they're going to end up in in the workforce or, or wherever they end up and um so it 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 uh it was a good thing in in a lot of ways and then it was bad in a lot of ways you know because of the the environment they were in but i think um they're all pretty well adjusted now and and um they got their heads screwed on straight and they they you know they they understand the evil that uh, that that's around them so it it was i think that's one of the the cautionary uh pieces that i would see because i i part of my career was involved in recruiting and i would um often interview uh kids from homeschool environments and christian school environments and one of the things we dug into was their background it was a security related industry so we we um Dug into their backgrounds and often, I can't tell you how many times, it was countless. The kids that were from the homeschool environments and the, and the Christian school environments had the worst experiences post high school in terms of the things that they had done because they didn't know how to control themselves in the world. They didn't know how, they were bombarded with all this worldly stuff and they just didn't know how to navigate through it, so they joined it. And they ended up making a lot of mistakes in their life and some things that cost them a career um, in, in the area that they were looking for. So it uh, that was that was it was quite eye opening for me as a as a person in that in that position. James writes, be careful homeschooling. Your kids might think for themselves. And yeah, and so. Um, <laughs> I, I was able to, with remote learning, listen in to some of the conversations with these public school teachers, and it, it's like, oh, Trump is bad and evil, things like that. Like, this is this is what they try to teach at, at public schools. It's indoctrination. It's uh, uh, teachers' private opinions. And so uh, being able to train your kids to point that out, to understand what's happening, and able to re respond to that, I think is, is pretty critical. And I, I do agree with this they need some experience. Uh, so me growing up, my big conflict was mostly with like Calvinists throughout high school, dealing with just countless Calvinists uh, left and right and uh, interacting with 
these supposed Christians who who would attack me from all angles. I remember once I was at uh, it was uh, Summit Ministries, which was in Colorado, uh, for teaching kids about the Bible. And I'm just surrounded by people. There's like 15 people, and I'm in the middle of this circle, and they're all screaming at me. Just their their different points about open theism or whatever. And yeah, those experiences in which I'm thrust into the fire, I think, are helpful. It's helpful for understanding how the world works and how the world operates and how people think and how they react and uh, what their motivations are. Their motivations are not always pure for the way they argue and what they argue. And it's it's good to be able to spot those characteristics within people. That's why I also, with my kids, try to go over things like body language and, and temperament and uh, trying to ascertain what people are telling you implicitly uh, as as opposed to explicitly being able to understand where people are coming from if you read a news story who's tr who's talking what are they trying to convince you of uh, what angle are they they uh, uh, portraying and what aren't they telling you because a lot of times the news is is not just what are they telling you but what are they not telling you so if the news is only showing you dead bodies uh, from russian uh, attacks and not showing you Azov battalions executing civilians who are leaving Ukrainian cities because they want the civilians to stay to increase civilian body count for international uh, international attention. You know they're not they're going to show you those Russian casualties and not not the Ukrainian casualties because they have a narrative. They're trying to sell you on a narrative. They want you believing a specific thing, and so I do think it's very important to go over with your kids. Uh, just human nature and how humans act and operate and what kind of what kind of propaganda show um, What's the Cernovich movie which he talks about news propaganda go show him the Cernovich movies uh, It goes over. It's actually interesting in that movie. They go over Plato's an, analogy uh, allegory of the cave within that movie and, and apply it to news propaganda teach them these things so that they can start spotting this and operate in the world and not fall prey to this uh, this information warfare that we see all around us. I I'm going to have to go find that movie. Joel, any thoughts? What are you asking at this point? I feel like we bounced all over there. Yeah, uh, I was. So Hoaxed is the movie I was talking about. And okay. then uh, there's also The Plot Against the President, which are two movies that I did show my kids, which which jump into media propaganda. How do you fight against the information warfare that you see coming at your kids? I don't know. I'm If I see a commercial or a, a political ad, we'll, and I think it's interesting, I'll sit the kids down and we'll be like, hey, let's watch this. What did you think of that? What did he say? What's the case he's making? But what's, notice the music, notice the lighting, notice this, uh, the way they're dressed. Look at the way this guy is, there's a lot that goes into visual media, a lot. Um, something I tell people and I tell my kids is, if it's on a screen, if you see it on a screen, it's fake. It's already fake. You're not looking at reality. Right now, you're not looking at us. Anybody watching this video, they're not looking at us. They're looking at, can you hear me? Okay, yes, we can hear it, you. It said, it said my, video, my video popped out. Yeah. Uh, proof that it's not me. But my, I mean, I've made media for a living. That's what I've done for almost two decades. So I've thought a lot about what is it I'm actually creating and how is it affecting people? You know, it's, I've always predominantly made stuff that sells a product or a service. Um, but I draw my kids into my thinking on all of that. 
and, and try to speak from my area of expertise to say, here's how media manipulates people. Here's how it manipulates minds. And we, we can do it for good reasons to sell a product or a service, but a lot of the media today is not like that. It's highly controlling, it's highly influential, and it's done by people who know exactly what they're doing. Um, so I talk to my kids about questioning not just the production of the media, but the minds behind the media. <clears throat> you know, the news media, the TV shows, commercials, they don't just come from nowhere. They come from the minds of companies, but those, those companies are made of individual people. And those individual people have goals, motivations, and philosophies that drive them. So what's the motivation of the person who's producing the media? What are they getting from my attention that I invest in whatever they're showing me? It's not always just to sell me something like a car. Um, it's, it's to move me as part of humanity in a certain direction. And I think if my kids are at least aware of that, as crazy as that sounds to some people, if they're at least aware of that, that that's the way the world communicates and influences us as Western consumers with television, media, just 24 seven at our disposal, um, I think I'm doing them a great benefit to teach them to think for themselves, to see through the media presentation <clears throat> um, so that they can, I don't know, it, it's, it's, it's good to be cautiously skeptical at the very least about what's going on today. Um, I don't want to think 1984 is coming <laughs> to pass in my lifetime, but I've read enough of those books. Uh, I don't know, are we fulfilling it? Um, or do these guys see something? Were these guys secular prophets that saw something coming? The Rod Serling's, Ray Bradbury's, and uh, George Orwell's. George, he actually fought for uh, the communists in the in the Spanish Civil War, and then walked away disenchanted with the communist movement because of the mass media propaganda. One of his famous quotes is like, "I saw news reports that had the reverse of reality and just wholly fabricating things that never happened." He was he was just astounded at the level of war propaganda at that time. But when we're talking about lenses and framing, I am reminded of a very famous case. I think it was in Texas. It was about billboards. And the judge said, oh, pictures do not lie. And so he says, uh, the people who think that the billboards are cluttering this space and we shouldn't add more billboards, you bring us pictures. And the people who think that it's, it's not very cluttered, uh, you guys bring us pictures and we'll just look at the pictures and we'll decide whether it's too cluttered or not. And so one side went a long way away and they used a, a long, longer lens and using a longer lens took all the billboards and basically compacted them together. And so it looked like a huge, huge mess of billboards. Whereas the other person, they went uh, very close with a short millimeter lens and took pictures and it showed billboards that were very spread apart and a lot of open space. And the judge that he looked at both sets of pictures and he threw them on down in disgust. He's like, I can't believe anyone. I can't trust anything anyone tells me, not even pictures. The pictures are lying because of the pictures are a frame of reference. But I, I think that does go to show you that that is that is one of my main goals, again, with raising my children so that they could critically evaluate propaganda as they see it and be able to ascertain who's trying to sell them what. Because uh, guess what? If, if, it's not, if it, someone's not trying to sell you something, you're the product. Who's trying to convince you of what and why? And the worst thing that could happen would be my kids buying into this massive propaganda and becoming one of these people uh, in this system. And so that's my goal, especially for my girls, not not for, to have them join popular culture, anti-humanist, anti I'll, I'll call them.
Jeremy seems like he he did pretty good with his girls. He's got a married daughter and one uh, going off to college, and so there, there's hope for us all, right, Jeremy? Absolutely, Chris. Yeah, you bet. And uh, you guys, you, you both of you have. Um, I mean, I, I I really admire you guys start because you started on the whole critical thinking thing with your kids earlier than I did, and I, I waited too late. Um, they still turned out great and they still, um, they're able to critical think now, but they, but I, I started a little bit too late and I think I'm probably just lucky or God was watching over us and protecting them, um, that they didn't get more, um, more, uh, um, fooled and, uh, and, and led down the wrong path w with respect to, to some of those things. So good on you guys for starting early because I think that's really important. And if I had to do it all over again, I would definitely start way earlier than I did. And, uh, but yeah. So, so with that being said, um, I, I would not expect the perfect parent to bat a hundred percent. Again, kids are individuals. They're just, they're not multiple lumps of clay that you could just turn them into anything uh, you want. Again, I talked about the major role that genetics play in how kids behave and how kids think and how kids turn out. And so people are just not moldable lumps. That's, this is one of the things that socialism and uh, the modern culture gets very wrong. They think if you flip the right switches, people are going to listen. People are going to behave. You could mold them and force them into your, your, your perfect system. Uh, people are not perfect. Uh, people will turn wayward. Even the best raised uh, child might turn out bad and it's not going to be the parent's fault in that case yes bad parenting can and probably more probably leads to those bad outcomes than good parenting but i would not expect good parents to bat 100 percent and have their kids always turn out perfectly kids are their own people so all right let's see if we got any other questions um Oh, I got I got my article pulled up on uh, uh, even homosexuality, and so one thing that uh, the book that I talked about goes over is one indicator is homosexuality. It doesn't talk about it that much, so I pulled up the statistics and I ran my own analysis on is homosexuality genetic, and it turns out that there's only about a twenty percent correlation if one identical twin is a homosexual that the second one also is. And so not even that is, is genetically based. And uh, the unique environment, which, which you could probably equate to free will, makes up about 20% of, 20 of um, what it takes for the outcome, 20, uh, 60% environmental effect. And so, yeah, I, there, there are, is some genetic component to it, but uh, overall, free will is probably a better explanation of those behavioral activities. Anyways, um, Joel, any other thoughts? Well, we had a visit there. My kids came in and decided they wanted to. I, I figured, saw that. I was like, I figured, this is an inopportune time. Oh, I guess they're not listening in because no, you got they, the they, headphones No, on. they can't. They can't hear. They, okay. I like, I, I, this is awkward. No, no, that's funny. I mean, we, we talk about those words with our kids and uh, we talk about them pretty frankly and openly about sex and homosexuality and trans this and that and whatever they're going to see on the Skittles bag at Walmart about transsexual, you know, activism. It's literally on the Skittles bag. I mean, uh, so we just talk about it. We say, well, this is what it is. This is what the Bible says. This is what's real. 
this is what you're going to face. Sorry. <laughs> no, I, I do think that's a good policy. Uh, don't shield them from no. from the world. Talk to them about the world. Show them what the world believes, what the world thinks, or else they're going to get it from someone else. Yeah. Earlier, just... earlier, Chris, you used the word insulated, and that's a word that I use. Um, we live in a pretty conservative part of the country in East Texas. We're out of the liberal Dallas area. Um, it's extremely, especially the community we're in, is extremely Christian. I mean, it's very faith-based. And so our kids are growing up in this little bubble. Um, but you use the word insulated. Uh, it's a very homeschool-friendly community. But uh, sometimes homeschoolers come under the criticism of being sheltering or sheltering the kids. And I'm like, no, we don't shelter them. We insulate them. It's exactly right. Like our kids have the rest of their life to face all the evils of the world and all the pressures of the world. But for these years, I can go alongside them and say, hey, these are the things you're going to be exposed to. This is what the world is like and, and provide some perspective for them um, and not just throw them out there. Um, but I mean, yeah, my kids came in. You didn't say anything they hadn't heard before. Needless to say, I had the headphones on. They're not hearing. But I figured we're talking about parenting so my kids could, you know, photobomb the frame and that'd be totally fine. So uh, I don't know. That, that That's all I have to say there. No, that's good. I, I love babies. Anytime I see my babies, I'm always happy to see them, give them hugs. When I'm away from them, I miss them. Uh, I have a good life. I have good kids. And I, I guess if there's any single men that are listening to this, my biggest piece of advice is find a woman who's mild manner, mannered, level headed, and go look at her mom. Go check out her mom because more often than not, you're not marrying a woman, you're marrying her mom. And as her mom is, so shall your future wife be. Uh, if she's if she has a messy house, your house is probably going to be messy. If she's if she's bigger, uh, your wife might be bigger. It's it's not a hundred percent, but a good rule of thumb is you're marrying the person's mom. That's that's who that person's going to turn into. And so, if you want well-behaved, good children, find a level-headed, mild-mannered woman. And level-headed, mild-mannered women are probably going to have mild-mannered, level-headed children. In my experience. Uh, don't get one of those manic pixie girls. You're going to have a crazy life. And uh, one of one of my uh, subordinates, he's like, you know what happened? I was in the Navy and uh, I had this crazy wife. And uh, uh, while I was gone, uh, she went and cheated on me with my brother and then blew all my bank account on cocaine. He's like, that's not even my worst ex-wife. It's like, ah, that's he, he had kids with her. I'm like, oh, no. Oh, no. And then, of course, his kids turned out a little bit crazy, but not not as crazy as the mom. But. I would I would filter out the manic pixie dream girls, no matter how here, here's the really sad part about life and about children is that men are magnetically drawn to self-destructive toxic women and women are magnetically drawn to self-destructive toxic men. It, it seems to be a thing. So maybe there's something to this arranged marriage stuff that they used to do. Joel, uh, how about your kids? Arranged marriages? Which well, daughter do you want to arrange? I can't, I can't talk about that because one of them sitting in the background on the computer right now. But uh, uh, yeah, you know, arranged marriage. I mean, you grow up thinking that doesn't sound very good. But as you get to be a little older and my, my oldest is almost 15 and my daughter's going to be 13. It's like, 
I'm not thinking about arranging anything, but I'm very careful with who their close friends are. You know, I mean, it's not like I've got certain prospects, but I know a type of young lady I would hope my son would want to marry. I have a type of young man that I hope my daughters would be interested in. And I want to kind of keep them away, weed out the, you know, the ones I wouldn't want them hanging out with. But I mean, Jeremy could probably speak more to that. His kids are a little bit older. Yeah, I... Well, my oldest daughter, uh, she got married three years ago. And um, so she was 19 when she got married, or 20, 20, 20. So uh, probably a little bit younger than we would have liked or preferred, you know, in our perfect world uh, of thinking. Um, but uh, we had absolutely no reservations with this guy because, I mean, he came in, he, stand up guy. I mean, he came up to me privately before he even asked my daughter to date him and asked my permission to date my daughter because he thought that my daughter would be someone that he might want to marry. Well, <laughs> that was pretty cool. And uh, so, you know, he, he had my blessing right from the start because he had uh, godly intentions for that relationship. And my youngest daughter was just in a relationship, um, her first relationship. And she realized that, um, even though they were, they had been good friends for a couple of years and they started dating that he wasn't the guy. And, uh, before it continued much further, she broke it off. So whatever we've done, we, I think, you know, we probably taught them the right things about relationships and and the proper way to go about it. And so far, so good. My, my son hasn't dated a girl yet. Um, not interested right now. He's, you know, and frankly, probably a good idea. <laughs> you know, and he, because he's not ready to settle down. He doesn't want to. So, of yeah. course, my philosophy is always the younger, the better. Because um, one of my... Uh, I guess operating fundamental principles in life is if we don't do something now, we'll never do it. And mm -hmm. so it's like, uh, when am I going to go backpack Europe? I was getting out of college. If I don't do it now, I'll do it never. So I went and did that. My, my kid, you know, when my oldest son had uh, cancer and, um, I, he make a wish was trying to get him to go to Disneyland. That's, that's what they really like to sell because they have deals with Disneyland and it's real cheap for them. He, he eventually picked Iceland, but I told him, it's like uh, we could go to Disneyland uh, anytime, uh, pick something that we can't do um, just anytime. And so he picked to go to Iceland, which was a fantastic choice for his Make-A-Wish. And so since I said we could go anytime to Disneyland, I was like, okay, uh, I said we could go anytime, we'll go now. So I took them on a road trip around uh, the western part of the U.S. I don't know if it's Disneyland or Disney World in, in California, but that's the one we went to, California. And uh, we got that knocked out of the way. If, if you need to operate on that, if you don't do it now, then you're never going to do it. And these people who are like, well, I'm going to wait till I'm 30 to have kids. It's like, is, is that going to work out for you? Is a very, very often, this is another point made in Brian Kaplan's selfish reasons to have more kids is that you don't tend to have buyer's remorse, even single moms, uh, as, as terrible as that may sound, none of these single moms are like, oh, I wish I didn't have my daughter or son. 
there's very little buyer's remorse, even if it's not in perfect circumstances. But there is a lot of non-buyer's remorse where there's these old, bitter women like, I was promised the world that I could have my career and family too. And then it just doesn't work out for them. And uh, you, you see them <laughs> just posting the, the hugest amounts of cope on like, uh, on like Twitter, where it's like, I'm happy with my 40 year old childless life. Here's me in this flashy flamboyant outfit. I'm loving life. It's like, I don't, I don't think you love life. I think, I think you're full of regrets. It, it feels very sad what, what's going on here. Of course, not all hashtag, not all different people have different personalities, but by and large, there's a lot more non-buyer's remorse than there is buyer's remorse. People don't regret having the kids that they have. So having kids earlier rather than later is something I do support. Yeah, I think, um, <clears throat> excuse me, I think when you try and orchestrate your your life according to a certain plan, uh, God has other plans. And uh, I think you have to be sensitive to to his leading in your life. And, and, uh, and I think, uh, yeah, lead, you know, don't try and get your way. Try and try and, uh, see it God's way. If it's early, it's early. If it's late, it's late. I didn't get now, married until 29. Now you're not a grandpa yet. Are you? No, no. Oh, okay. Are you pressing for that to be no, a grandpa? I, no, I, I, I said you guys should wait at least five years. Oh, okay. <laughs> Sooner is better than later. Enjoy your, enjoy your, and you know, get to know, get to, you know, establish your relationship and, and don't be in a hurry. That's what I told them. Um, and if, you know, if that happens, it happens. Great. But yeah, I'm not in any hurry. I'm not old enough to be a grandpa yet. So I'm fine with it. I'll weigh in, Chris. Um, in growing up, I only have one brother and my wife only has one sister. So we come from a family with two kids each. And uh, so we, when we got married, we assumed we'd have at least two kids. Um, in my mind, I can only imagine having ever had two uh, until we had more. But my wife thought two, maybe three. Well, sure enough, pretty quickly we had three and then we had four. And before you know it, it's like I'm drowning in this lifestyle I have zero experience with, you know. Um, and there were the sleepless nights with the newborns and the little babies. And that was, that was the single hardest thing for me, but I absolutely love every one of my kids. And from the day they were born, actually from the day we found out we were pregnant with them, I would never, never not want them. Uh, you know, I, number four came a little sooner than we expected. Um, she was a, a little bit of a surprise, but she is the most amazing child and uh, I just, I love her to death and I wouldn't have it any other way. I wanted to share this uh, as I'm here live on the internet and they know full well, they walked in and uh, they wrote me a, a note with some Pizza Hut coupons and uh, a letter begging to buy Pizza Hut tonight. And they slipped that in real discreetly, you know, even though I told them I'd be live on the internet, they've, uh, they're, I'll probably have to reward their daringness with some Pizza Hut. Probably they they do Pizza Hut has like that five deal where you pay, spend five dollars or six dollars. I don't know what are these. These, I, are terrible, I feed, these are terrible coupons. These are really expensive. But I'll probably I can feed my whole family for thirty bucks at Pizza Hut, and uh, everyone's happy. And so I do like Pizza Hut. They they did much. say we could do Little Caesars. That's in the fine print there. So maybe we'll do Little Caesars because it's cheap. 
Oh, man. <laughs> I don't know. So, so Treebeard says, boys can afford to wait, not so much for girls. Yeah, I, I would generally agree with that. That older women get, the, the harder it is for them to become pregnant. You know, one thing, uh, one thing I'll add just, you know, I don't know how long we're going here today, but, um, um, I would, I would say the one thing I would, I would strongly remind, you know, parents to do is, you know, right from conception, pray for your kids. Um, spend a lot of time in prayer. Um, I used to go into my kids' rooms when they were sleeping and, uh, kneel down beside their bed and just, uh, pray for their lives. Um, in every aspect. And I think, I, I think that's undervalued. And I don't think we, we recognize the power sometimes of what that can do for their lives. And, and really I, I look at them and how they have developed as adults. And I, it's him really at the end of the day. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, again, my, my oldest son had the cancer and there was a lot of prayers for him. So it really feels like he wasn't in a low risk cancer either. He was in an elevated risk and it seems to have paid off. Uh, he's been off his cancer treatments for over five years now. And so life is going good. And I think our prayers were effectual that God listened to and heard our prayers. And so I always pray for my kids. My mm -hmm. consistent prayer is that they have long, healthy and happy lives. You know, right. I, I don't want them burning out in a blaze of glory, going to fight some sort of war, anything like that. Let's uh, get this. But even, pray, even praying for their spouses, you know, that God would at the right time bring the right person into their lives. And, uh, you know, not not that I'm, you know, not I'm certainly not of the opinion that he knows who that person is when they're born. But you, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's I'm not that, uh, you know, at the right time that he would just bring somebody into their lives that that would be the perfect fit for them. Yeah, instead of sending my girls to college, I'm just going to have them waitress next to a med school. <laughs> I, I could help the, help the process along. But talking about how happy we are to have kids, I tell everyone that the day I found out I was having twins was the best day of my life because that's the day I got a triple kill on Battlefield 2 with a grenade launcher. My wife's like, I wish you did not get that triple kill on the same day you found out. You're, she's like, you always tell that. It's it's terrible. Absolutely awful. Yeah, like when, I, when I'm in the store with my kids, people will be like, oh, are all these kids yours? And I say, well, I think so. But my wife keeps throwing away all my home paternity test kits. So I don't know. <laughs> ah, but that's good. I can't imagine life with less kids. Sometimes when I count my kids up, it feels like I'm missing some of my kids. It's like, I think there should be more. I, they're just not, it's, it feels like, feels like we're missing someone. And uh, uh, having kids is wonderful. It's a great experience. And having kids sooner rather than later is my advice. And having kids with a level-headed lady, if you're a young single man, I, that's my biggest piece of advice. No manic pixie dream girls. Don't do it. It's a bad idea. All right. So we're almost about 1.30 in time, so I'll let you all get running here. So any concluding thoughts, anything you'd like to add for, for, the, for the audience here? Jeremy? Um, well, <laughs> yeah, you, don't be afraid to say sorry when you make a mistake, uh, when you get it wrong. 
uh, I think that goes a long way. Uh, it teaches your kids how to apologize when they do something that's not right. And um, yeah, just. Uh, so I'm going to jump off that point real quickly here. That's another one of my parenting rules. Never lie to my children. Right. I'm not going to lie Absolutely. about Santa Claus. Absolutely. I'm not going to lie about Absolutely. Easter Bunny. We never did that like either. That. We, we intentionally promised our kids we would never lie to them. I'll never lie to my kids. Um, once once you lie to someone and you're exposed as lying to them, um, then that trust is not going to be easily Absolutely. regained. And uh, you're lying to them about the Easter Bunny. Maybe you're lying to them about Jesus, you know? Yep. Never lie to your children. That's that. I'm glad you did. I'm glad you did bring that up because that is one of my parenting rules. Mm -hmm. Don't lie to kids. Absolutely. Joel, any concluding thoughts? Yeah, my kids have never regretted us telling them the truth about Easter Bunny or the Tooth Fairy or uh, Santa Claus. You know, I, I tell my kids, I say, hey, if you lose a tooth and you put it under your pillow, you know what you're going to have in the morning? You're going to have a tooth under your pillow because I don't pay you for your teeth because the tooth fairy is not real. And, uh, but they, they've never regretted it. You know, um, it dawned on me early on that if I want my kids to be godly and good people, I have to be that myself because like the old saying, you know, they're, they're going to, they're going to mimic you. They're going to do what you do, not what you say to do. And, um, yeah, apologizing to your kids is one of the biggest things. If I do something wrong, then I need to model that, that I did something wrong and apologize. They're never going to apologize to me or somebody else if I don't do that myself. Because um, that's, that, that's just how we are. But something a friend of mine said, and I've taken it to heart, is that at the end of the day, if I had to make a choice between my kids being good or smart, I will always pick my kids to be good. Now, they can be both. But if I had to pick one, I want them to be good. I want them to follow Jesus. So uh, I don't know. I try to try to live like that. Try to model that for my kids. Try to people say, "How do you? Why are you kids interested in God? Or how do you get your kids to read the Bible?" Well, I make that important in my own life. They do what mommy and daddy do. So marry a godly woman. That's really important. Uh, if you don't marry a godly woman, you're in for a whole lot of trouble. Yeah, you and, found yours at like a church camp. Uh, what's it called? Youth with a Mission? Uh, it was called Teen Mania. It, it's not a church camp, is it? But it's a ministry internship. Ministry internships are great places to find a good wife. For, for, find ladies. Yeah, yes, absolutely. Yeah. Go go on these trips, uh, even if they're nonsense. It's like we're going to go to to uh, Mexico and build houses for like a week. And then someone's going to live in our week old house or something. Uh, take those and and send your kids on those. They can find ladies. Now that that's actually what we worry about. Now, it's very easy for ladies to find men, but uh, vice versa, it's a little bit harder because uh, boys are a little bit more uh, less assertive, younger in their lives in uh, securing those relationships. So we always hope for our, our young boys to go out and find these godly women who exist out there somewhere. But uh, I think we had a good time tonight, and uh, I think there's a lot of good parenting advice. We we didn't get any um, counter narrative to uh, some of the things we're saying, so maybe maybe next time we could get some someone to come in, maybe like a hippie parent or something to try to give a little pushback. I think we're all very much in agreement. A little bit different uh, 
different parenting strategies with the free range versus a little bit more structured versus intermediate or something like that. But uh, I guess time will tell if, if my kids turn out terrible or great. I, my money's on there going to turn out pretty good. But uh, thanks for coming tonight and thanks for this uh, beautiful interaction. Um, I hope we could probably maybe do something like this again. And uh, thanks everyone else for coming in and, and asking questions and putting input as well. If anyone has any questions or comments, you can put that down below uh, or start a thread on the God is Open Facebook page. Thank you for listening. Thanks, Chris. Thank you, Chris. Thank you.